You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Bible Church of Paragool. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagool.com. Good morning to each of you. Good to see you. If you are here for your first time, let me just uh, remind you that we do not actually expect anything of you, and so you can relax. Uh, we just want you to come and, and, and hear from God, and so we're not going to ask you to stand or, or give money or anything like that, and so we're just glad that you're here, and we want to use this service as a gift to you. And so we are in a series that we've entitled The Real Jesus, and it's a series where we basically say, you know what, we don't want the counterfeit Jesus. We don't want the fake Jesus of our heads, the religious Jesus that we've made up with the, uh, in the figment of our imaginations. And so we want to go to the Bible and we want to discover the real, biblical, historical Jesus. The all-inspiring, all-powerful Jesus. And so where we are discovering about who the real Jesus is is in Matthew chapter 5. And so if you have a Bible, you can go with us there, Matthew chapter 5. If you don't have one, two things. One, we'll have it on the screen for you so you can uh, follow along. But we want you to have a copy of God's Word. And so if you don't own a Bible, we would love to give you a free Bible. Uh, when you walk out, there's a welcome booth right by the door that you came in, and there are hardback black ESV Bibles, and that's our gift to you. So you can grab one of those and mark it up and, and claim it as your own. So Matthew chapter 5 is where we'll be. If you have an ESV Bible, that'll be on page 809 if you're having a hard time. Find it. Matthew chapter 5, and we will start in verse 1. This is the greatest sermon ever preached. The only perfect sermon ever preached by a perfect man. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 1. It says, See in the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In verse 4, this is where we will rest this morning. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Last week, Jesus changed the game on us. The way we think it means to live a blessed life is a little bit different than what Jesus says it means to live a blessed life. In the religious South, we would say those who obey the rules, those who are the good old boys and good old gals, they're the ones who will be blessed. The ones who have high self-esteem and self-confidence and seem to really be put together on the outside. They're the ones who are blessed. But Jesus comes on the scene, as we saw last week, and he says, actually, no, blessed or happy are they who are poor in spirit. And as we talked about last week, what Jesus means by that is blessed are those who know they are spiritually bankrupt before God. Happy are those, fortunate are those, who know they literally have nothing to offer God. And this is a message that we need to preach about every other week in the religious South. Because I would say out of the 90% of the people that are lost in our city, people that are lost, 90% of those are not lost because of their bad deeds. They're lost because of their damnable good works. They're lost because they think that because they showed up at a church service on a Sunday morning that they're good to go. They think because they read their Bible or because they prayed a prayer that they are saved. They think their good works are good enough for God. And Jesus says, actually, no. Blessed are those who are poor in the Spirit. Blessed are those who know 
they have nothing to offer God, that your good works do not impress him. And they turn their weakness over to Jesus and they trust him. You're the ones who will be fortunate. We need to be reminded of that. Some of you even here this morning, possibly you're here right now and you're doing a bunch of good stuff. I mean, you got up early on a Sunday morning and you attended this church service. But here's the problem. Maybe some of you are doing it because you want heaven, but you don't really want God. You're doing this stuff because you're trying to earn your way out of hell, so to speak. And what you need to know this morning is that heaven is not reserved for people who don't want hell. Heaven is reserved for people who want God. It's a big difference. And you don't get God if you don't admit your weakness to Jesus. If you don't say, I'm a sinner, and the only way that I can have a relationship with God is by the perfect work of Jesus Christ on my behalf. And that's the first piece of Jesus' sermon. It's a game changer. He's going to drop another bomb on us in verse 4 if you look again. Because what he's saying here by bless, we talked about last week, it means happy. It means fortunate. Jesus says the most crazy statement I think that you can make. He says, happy are those who mourn. Doesn't that seem like a paradox? Happy are those who mourn. Now, in our culture, we don't really think of mourning as something we should embrace. Mourning is something we shun, right? And we all walk around, no matter how much hurt we really have, with that fake smile on our face a lot of times, right? And we just kind of, you know, we go and buy the coffee mug that says joy across it real big because we're Christians, right? And we should always smile. We should always have joy. And when people mourn around us, it gets awkward, doesn't it? People cry around you in your missional community or whatever else. You want to go over there real quick and like, okay, everybody, let's just move on. Okay, nothing to see here. Like, there, there, you know, like, it's all good. Whatever that means. I don't even know if that means all good anyway. But that's what we know. It's like, we, let's just quit. Let's just, you know, kind of push the mourning to the side. Let's not cry. Let's dry it up. All of life for the Christian for whatever reason, is kind of like that family portrait that you're trying to get when you have little kids. For those of you that have little kids, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You just want one good picture of all of you smiling for that Christmas card. Is that so much to ask? Out of all those diapers we change, those hospital bills, just smile for one picture so we can put it in our living room. But you know whenever you're there, if you have little kids, what's going on? I mean, one of them is crying. The other one's squirming or spitting up on the shirt you went and bought for the pictures. And you're just like trying to like hold them with the desk. You're like, smile, smile, you know, like, just look, look, you know, like, come on. Nobody's really happy, but we want to put on that superficial layer of happiness. Because that's what it means to be blessed in our culture. Is that not really the way life works? Maybe even for some of you here today who you are hurting. You have things that you want to grieve, but you've been told that the Christian doesn't grieve. The Christian smiles and walks around with their chest out and confident and just happy all of the time. But it's a superficial happiness is what it is. And here's the question I want you to ponder this morning as we dive into this text that I think is going to change the game for a lot of us. What if by deflecting mourning, you're actually delaying happiness? See, the real Jesus comes on the scene and he says, Happy are those who mourn. In Luke 6, in the parallel passage to this passage, Jesus uses the opposite word for blessed by saying, Woe 
In Matthew 5, here he is saying, Blessed are those who mourn. And listen to this crazy passage in Luke 6, verse 25. He says, Woe to those who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep later. Now, some of you right here, you're like, wait a minute now, I'm confused. I thought, you know, even Luke just said we come here and we laugh and we should be happy. I thought as Christians we're supposed to be people who experience laughter and happiness. Yes, that is true. But Jesus says if you want to know a real happiness, you have to experience real mourning. It's not exactly the opening line you would expect to a guy who preaches his first sermon who's trying to build a movement. I mean, I don't know what you know about marketing, but when you look at commercials, most of the times they're trying to get you to buy stuff by saying, if you buy this, your life will be what? It'll be better. It'll be complete. You'll be happy. When we started this church, we never once put out a poster that said, Fellowship Bible Church, come mourn with us. Right? You ain't going to get anybody that way. And yet... Jesus says in the Christian life there should be mourning. Truth is, when you meet the real Jesus, you will be happy, but you also will experience mourning. And here's the promise he says in verse 4 When you mourn, you will find true comfort. Let's be honest this morning. Is that not what we're all looking for? Comfort? Is that not why we work overtime and a crazy amount of hours so we can get the big house where we're more comfortable? Where we can buy the lake house or we can buy the toys or the gadgets or so we can build up that retirement fund? Is that not why so often we run to food more than maybe even we should? Or we run to entertainment or drugs or pornography? Because we know life is hard. And we need relief. We need comfort. And we're looking anywhere that we can to try to find it. And the real Jesus says, if you want real comfort, it comes through mourning and bringing your mourning to me. Now the question we have to ask this morning is what kind of mourning is he talking about? Because he's not just talking about mourning your favorite sports team losing. He's not talking about just mourning the fact that maybe you had to go up a size in jeans. He's talking about a much healthier type of mourning. He's talking about a deep spiritual mourning where we mourn, listen, our sin, the sins of others, and the consequences that are caused by sin. He's saying, blessed, fortunate are those who mourn their own sin, mourn the sin of those around them, and the consequences that sin brings about. Now let me just be very clear on this. As a Christian, we should be a people who are optimistic. We should be a people who are overjoyed when we think about the fact that God's grace, as we just sang, covers all of our sin. We should rejoice in that. The fact that, that now we don't have to, to make up for the fact that we've sinned. We don't have to try to outdo our bad deeds with good deeds. Like Jesus, His finished work on the cross has accomplished everything that we need. His grace is more than sufficient for all of our shortcomings and failures. But listen, that does not mean that when we sin, that now we just say, Oh well, grace will prevail. It does not mean that when we sin, that we're flipping about it. Guys, it should grieve us 
When we sin, as we are reminded that God hates that sin so much that He had to crush His Son on the cross to make us right with Him. That should grieve us. We should never get over that. When you actually become a Christian, what happens is the Spirit opens your eyes not only to how beautiful Jesus is, but how destructive the nature of our sin is. And we should mourn that. And if you've been converted, if you are a Christian, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I mean, the things, when I became a Christian at 20 years old, the things that I used to celebrate and the things that used to entertain me and that I used to laugh at actually began to make me sad. Some of you know I've had a wicked, wicked past. And I've done some really awful things to people. I've hurt people, and I knew in the moment that I was hurting them, and I didn't experience any sorrow over any of it. But then when I became a Christian, when God saved me, I mourned those sins. When God broke into my life when I was 20 years old, I bawled like a baby. I realized that I'm a wretch. I became poor in spirit. I realized I have nothing to offer God. But at the same time with my mourning, what happened? I went to Christ. And I experienced a joy. And I experienced a happiness. And I experienced a comfort that I have never experienced before as Christ took all of that. Guys, it should grieve us to think about the fact that God had to crush His Son for our sin. It should grieve us when we realize that behind every sin that we commit is a finger-waving acquisition against God. Every time that we sin, whenever we sin, we're saying one of four things. Either, God, you're not really good, and so I need to chase after something you've told me not to chase at because you don't know what's best for me. I do, and I need it. You're not good enough for me. Or we're saying, God, you're not in control. I don't trust you with my finances. I don't trust you with my family. I don't trust you with my health. I need to go to other people to control the situation. Or I need to try to control it or I will freak out. God, you are not glorious. You are not worthy of worship. I'm worthy of worship. And so I'm going to live my life caring more about what people think about me than caring about what they think about you. You are not gracious. I've got to perform to earn my way into your lap. Jesus' work is not enough. So I've got to do things to add to that work. We're always saying something like that in our sin. And it should grieve us that we would be saying that to a perfect, holy God who always does what is good, right, and perfect. We should regularly mourn our sinfulness. But here's where the happiness comes in. It comes in when we learn to take our mourning to our Messiah. You see, because Jesus not only died for our sins, but rose from the dead, we can have happiness. We can have joy. He's not just left on a cross. And He's not just left in a tomb. He didn't just come and endure sin. He conquered it. So that we don't have to be conquered by sin. True happiness only occurs when you mourn your sin and you see how broken you are. But then you see that Christ is more than sufficient. He's more than able to take all of that sin, all of that failure, all of that brokenness on Himself and free us from those things and give us the forgiveness and the joy and the happiness and the comfort that we are longing for. True happiness does not come from you making up for your sin. Would you stop doing that? Some of you, maybe you sin and you know you sin, you mourn it, and rather than going to the cross, you say, okay, I'm just going to like read Leviticus today. 
I'm going to pick the hardest book in the Bible, and I'm going to read it so God will know how much I love him. I used to do it all the time, and I'd screw up, and I'd be like, okay, I'm going to share the gospel with five people today so God will know I love him, and I'm going to make up for all the sin in my life. Stop doing that. That's what Satan wants you to do. What Jesus wants you to do is take your mourning over your sin and just go to him with it and trust him with it. And stop trying to make up. That's not where true happiness comes from, nor does it come from us just trying to sweep it under the rug, but rather true happiness and true comfort comes when we take our grievous sins to a glorious Savior and we trust Him with it. We should mourn our sin. But not only that, we should mourn the sins of others. Now, let me be real clear here. We are never called to look down on another human being. Christians are not called, we should never condemn another sinner, but we should grieve them. It should grieve us to see people in our church living in sin. We should mourn when we see people that know the truth of God's word, but rather will rely on themselves rather than the truth from Scripture. We should mourn when we have people in our church who clearly are making decisions based off of human logic and reasoning rather than trusting in what God has said. We should mourn death. We should mourn diseases. We should mourn sickness. We should mourn cancer. We should mourn the fact that our county leads all of the counties in Arkansas and the number of children that go to bed hungry every night. We should mourn that. We should mourn the fact that there are people that are struggling with addictions all over our city and it's destroying their families. I spent time in the Green County Jail this past week, um, not as an inmate, but as a... Uh, <laughs> uh, but I was visiting another woman there and she just continues to struggle with dope over and over. She tries to kick it and, and she just continues to fall into it. Her family's been destroyed by it and... Guys, we should mourn that. We shouldn't sit back and wave our fingers and say, how could you, and blah, 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 never do something like that. That's first off ridiculous. That's not being poor in spirit. That's not you understand if it's not by the grace of God, you do the exact same thing. But secondly, like, what's happened to us whenever we can have a meeting like that and leave and just go throughout our day like nothing ever happened? We should grieve the fact that there are people right now in this city, and by the way, you know how many people in this city are unchurched? I just discovered this this past week. I didn't know this. Out of all the religions, and all the, there's a church built on every corner, you'd think like 80% of people are affiliated with some sort of church or religion. Only 50% of people in our city claim to be religious. That's pretty crazy. And so half of our city is not even affiliated with any church anywhere, no matter what denomination. And it should grieve us, guys, listen. As we look out in our city and we see people who are building their lives on things they're trying to find comfort in, And in the end, they're going to wake up and they're going to spend eternity in hell. Does that grieve you? You ever sit up at night and just think about that and think, man, how awful this is. That people are lost and going to hell. The Bible says that when Jesus looked at Jerusalem, he wept over it. He said, if only you knew what would bring you real peace and real comfort. Jesus would look out at people who were hungry. And he would have compassion on them and he would give them food. Remember what happened at the tomb of Lazarus? Before Jesus raised him from the dead, what did he do as he stood at Lazarus' tomb? He wept. He cried. 
Why did Jesus cry over death? Because that's not the way things are supposed to be. People aren't supposed to die. We're not supposed to get sick. We're not supposed to lose children. That's because of sin. And we should hate it. And we should mourn it. Jesus cried over it. And, and that's what I love about the real Jesus. He is not indifferent to your pain. The real Jesus is not indifferent to your mourning. He hates it. He grieves it. And the truth is, so should we. In James chapter 4, verse 9, it says, Christians are to grieve, mourn, and well. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Let me ask you a question. I know I'm in front of a crowd, but I'm in front of a crowd of individuals, so you answer this question in your own heart. Because it's a question that hit me like a ton of bricks this week when I read this verse. Is it even possible to be a Christian without tears? Is it possible? Is it possible to be a Christian without mourning our sin and mourning the sin of others? In this world that we live in? Is it possible to sit back and think about how sinful we are and about the sin of others and the consequences about it and laugh at those things? And be flipping about it like it's no big deal? Some of you could be honest this morning, maybe your heart is calloused towards these things. And I guess you know what a callous is, right? When I used to play guitar, my fingers used to hurt when I first learned how to play, and they would bleed and all those kind of things. And eventually, the longer I played guitar, the longer I developed a callous, and it no longer hurt. Some of you used to grieve your sin, didn't you? And now there are things in your life that no longer grieve you, that you know is sin, but you continue to do them. And you look at the sin of people in this world and the brokenness. And as I even read out some of those things to you about, about hunger, about kids going to bed hungry, and about people going to hell, there's really nothing in you that kind of grips your heart. Jesus says we're to mourn these things. And aren't you thankful that the real Jesus, that he was moved by our sin, Aren't you thankful that the real Jesus, that he was not callous to our mess, but he came right in the middle of our mess? He lowered himself to our level. God became flesh, and he wasn't just moved by our brokenness. He became our brokenness at the cross. And he died for our sin. He knew more pain. He knew more shame and more betrayal than any of you will ever know. He went through the most horrific, shameful death. He experienced more suffering and more mourning than any of us so that we could be comforted for all eternity. And the great news is, is this comfort that he gives you, by the way, the Latin word for comfort here that he uses, it actually means to strengthen or fortify. It's not a sentimental like, here, here, you know, like, pat on the back, let's hug it out. No, the comfort that Jesus gives you, the real, you know, you get comfort from the real Jesus. You know it because you feel strong and mighty, even in the midst of situations that defy all logic. You have strength. You get a comfort that basically, no matter what comes your way, you will not be destroyed. That's the comfort that he offers to us. Paul, when he addresses God in 2 Corinthians 1 3, he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of, what's the word? All comfort. 
All right, so here's what that means. I don't know what you may be mourning right now. Maybe you've got a parent that's sick or a child that's sick. Maybe you've lost a loved one. Maybe you've been rejected. Maybe you're grieving your own sin. Whatever it is you're mourning right now, think about that. And know that God has a comfort for everything that you mourn. There is nothing beyond His scope. God brings a comfort to every one of our situations, and it's a comfort that is strong. It's a comfort that is mighty. And listen, I have no words for this kind of comfort. It is beyond understanding. You will not know it unless you've experienced it. The time that I was in my bedroom and I was 20 years old and I had just ruined my life and was really honestly ready to take my life and God met me there, my circumstances in my life had not changed at all. But when I met the real Jesus, He brought a comfort and a joy I had never experienced anywhere else or anything else in all of my life. That's why I give my life to telling other people about Him because I believe He can do the same for you. When my son was eight days old, and the doctor took him into surgery, and they said, there's a chance he's not going to make it. And my wife and I sat at the hospital, and we cried literal tears. I mean, we cried as he was in surgery, wondering, like, are we moments from losing our son? But you know what the real Jesus did for us? He gave us a comfort, and he gave us a peace in the middle of that to where I had this unshakable confidence that even if my son died, it was not because God did not love me. If he gave up his own son for me on the cross, he is not now going to withhold anything from me. But anything that he does, even if he decides to take my son, he's still good, he's still right, he's still perfect, and he's working it together for my good. And I also know because of the hope of the resurrection that if my son died, death is not his executioner, it's like a gardener. It cultivates him and makes him even better. His life would have been free. We had that peace and that calm. We talked about it as we sat there and cried knowing that we were moments away from possibly losing him. Guys, listen to me. I'll tell you right now, if you have the religious Jesus, if that's the Jesus you've settled for or someone's taught you about, if it's a Jesus of your heads, he will not give you that comfort. He will not do that for you. He will not comfort you in your pain and in your mourning. He will not strengthen you. The fake Jesus, the counterfeit Jesus that we have been sold, that is not the Jesus of the Bible, is weak, he's pitiful, and he can do nothing for you. The real Jesus... The Jesus we find in the Bible, though, He provides us with a comfort that is so rich it can reward any loss. He will provide you, I promise you, with a comfort that is so enduring that it will outlast any pain. He will provide us with a comfort that is so bountiful we can share it with anybody else no matter what they are going through. Do you know the real Jesus? Do you know that Jesus? Some of you this morning, you're mourning over sin. Some of you, you know that you've done some awful things. And the problem is, you're just sitting there and you're carrying shame and you're carrying guilt over these things. And the real Jesus wants you to quit carrying shame and quit carrying guilt. Stop banging your head in the door. Stop trying to make up for it. But take the mourning over your sin to Him and experience true comfort that's found at the cross. Maybe some of you hear this morning you're grieving over the loss of someone who is dear to you you've had failed expectations life has handed you a, just a bad hand things have not turned out the way you hoped they would and the real jesus wants you to know that your best years are not behind you 
Your best years are ahead of you. He wants you to feel the truth that the suffering you are experiencing now is not even going to compare to the glory that will be revealed one day. He wants to meet you in your brokenness and He wants to bless you there. Do you believe that today? Some of you in here, you have never had a chance to grieve properly. Maybe you've been told you need to dry it up and move on. Just pull yourself up by your bootstraps. It's not okay to cry. It's not okay to be weak. I want you to know the real Jesus today gives you permission to mourn. And he says, when you do mourn, then you will be blessed. Then you will receive a comfort that is beyond this world. What we want to do is we want to remember the real Jesus as we partake of communion. And we want to remember that the real Jesus is one who is not indifferent. He is not indifferent to our brokenness. He is not indifferent to our pain and our struggle. But He became pain. He became our struggles. He became our brokenness at the cross. And so when you come and you partake of communion today, as you tear off the bread and you dip it in the juice, would you be reminded of the fact that Jesus is greatly moved by whatever it is that grieves you. And that he came to take that grief on the cross. I want to encourage you just to give it to him as you take of communion. If you're here today and you are not a partner with our church, we want you to know there's not a closed door to you here. If you're a part of the family of God, we encourage you, you can partake of communion with us. It's not closed to you. But if you were here this morning and you do not know the real Jesus, if you settled for a religious Jesus, maybe a Jesus that someone has told you about, that they lied to you about, if you've not fully committed to Him, then we encourage you to do that today. Rather than receiving communion, receive Christ. Give Him everything that you have. And trust that there is no sin, there's no amount of pain, there's no amount of brokenness that is too big for Him. And if you do that today, I would encourage you to talk with someone that you came with or come and talk with me or another one of the pastors and we would love to pray with you and encourage you and show you the next step. As you know, we've also got giving baskets that we put by our communion uh, cups and plates that people will be holding. If you are a guest or if you're not a Christian, again, we don't want your money, okay? Do not feel any shame or guilt when you walk past that if you don't throw anything in the basket. We aren't asking anything from you. We are only asking that you receive. That's it. But for those of us that are Christians, giving, the reason we do it is because it's, a, it's an act of worship. We receive as we're reminded of what Christ has done for us through communion, and then we give back to Him as we're reminded that everything we have is God's, and we want to give back and ask Him to use it for His glory. And so that itself is an act of worship. Okay? I'm going to ask you to stand with me. And we're going to spend some time praying. And we're going to sing and we're going to celebrate through one more song. And then we'll partake of communion together. I want to ask you to close your eyes. And, and the real temptation at this point is to say, I've sung a few songs, I've listened to a sermon, I can check that off my list, and I've got a little bit of my Jesus, and now I can just go on and do my thing. Our hope here is that we all leave changed. That we all leave experiencing more of the real Jesus. More joy, more comfort, more peace that comes from Him.
And so I want to encourage you, do not sweep your questions underneath the rug. Do not try to think about where you're going to be going next and what all is on the agenda. But just think about the word today that is from the real Jesus. Do you mourn your sin? Ask yourself that question. Do I mourn sin? And if not, ask yourself why that is. Do I mourn the sin of others? Does it grieve me to see other people who are chasing after things, trying to find hope and comfort and peace in something other than Jesus? And if you don't, then ask yourself why that is. For those of you that are here this morning and and maybe you are mourning over a situation in your home or a situation from your past or from from sins you're dealing with right now, would you please just take that to the real Jesus? Would you please just don't let this moment escape. Trust Him. Father, we do thank You so much for being a God who cares so much about us that You became flesh. You came right in the middle of our brokenness. You left a perfect place in heaven where there is no mourning. You left a perfect place in heaven where there is no disease. There is no brokenness. And you came right into our world because you love us so much. Father, please, through your Spirit, keep that from becoming old news to us. If there is someone here this morning who who does not know you, would you please reveal yourself to him? You, you did that to me at 20 years old when I did not deserve it. Would you please be gracious enough to do that to the man or woman who maybe is here this morning, who has settled for religion, who has settled for a counterfeit Jesus? Would you begin to reveal your true self to them? Would you set their heart on fire for you? Meet us in our brokenness and bless us. Give us comfort. We thank you for who you are and for everything you've done for us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.